Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, just to be alive, for the air we breathe, for the food we eat, the shelter you give us. We know everything good is a gift from you. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, out of heaven, to become a man and take our place on the cross once for all so that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved by your grace. Father, please bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us as you promised and show us what we need to know tonight. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Again, a year in review, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, part two. So this past year, the Spirit has opened our eyes to some wonderful truths. I know for me, this has been a, a very important year, actually, uh, even as an evangelist. Um, understanding the fullness of the Gospel and, and having the whole picture straight in your head and your soul, it's invaluable. And I hope you all feel the same way, that it was uh, an eye-opening year and very important. Uh, obviously, what could be more important than getting the gospel right? So here again is where, where the Spirit has taken us over the last 16 months, a year plus in review from uh, a year ago, September. We had 117 lessons on the gospel, salvation, and sanctification. And then the difficult passages... We had four parts on the Gospels and the Gospel context, six parts on believing, and 30 parts on grace and works. So that's a lot of lessons, folks. That's not like, you know, just the Spirit touching on something that we need to, you know, correct. That's a lot of in-depth lessons. And if you want, you know you can go to the website and revisit any, any of those parts for your own edification and um, reminding yourself, because I bet if you listen to, <laughs> we listen to all those lessons again, you'll get probably twice as much out of it. But do as the Spirit leads you. As most of you know, the Spirit also led Pastor to get our feedback on this past year, on what we've all personally learned and been convicted about that changed our perspective. And this is the value of learning at the roundtable Bible studies. And those of you that attend, I, I'm sure you agree, uh, learning through sharing, we have so much we can learn from each other as each of our lives have a different context and therefore perspective, even as we grow in the Lord. And if we're humble, we can see things from a different angle, uh, oftentimes shared from somebody else sitting right next to us. And often you'll hear things that you just never thought of, right? If you go to the Bible studies, you know that happens quite a bit. And that's what happened last Thursday in our year-end review. Again, on the board, we have so much we can learn from each other as each of our lives have a different context and therefore perspective, even as we continue to grow in the Lord. So the value is that we hear directly from the hearts of our brothers and sisters who are going through the same struggles and the same battles every day, living the spiritual life in the devil's world. I mean, it's not easy if you're going to live for Christ. You're going to be challenged by those that don't like Christ, whether angelic or human. So while we're not going to review the things that we heard in that you know, Thursday night review again, I just want to say that you're missing out if you don't attend the Bible studies on Wednesday nights. You're missing out on a method that the Holy Spirit inspired us to do a couple years ago now, to hear from one another on how we live in certain principles. So I hope and, you know, that you pray about it if you haven't been attending, because some of the perspectives that you hear can literally change your life going forward on how you handle certain things or, or look at certain things. Perspective's everything, as we've been learning. And what better than to have the light bulb go on, right? 
where you just realize where you've been a little bit off even in an area, and now you are set free by something. So God has given us that opportunity to hear from each other. And um, even if you only attend to listen, let me say this, even if you only attend the Bible studies to listen and you don't want to talk, one gem that you hear could really help you greatly. So if you don't attend, please pray about it. Also, as a fellow teacher of the Word, operating by pastor's side for your benefit, I'm greatly motivated by the following scripture, which came up on Sunday on the board. In 1 Timothy 1.5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. As we know, if all we do is not motivated by love and done in love, then we're nothing. We might as well, I don't want to say stop, I don't want to say quit, but you might as well count it as what you've been doing as nothing and go forward from there. Because without love, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, you could do the best things on the surface, but it doesn't count with God. So as we go on into the new year, may we all operate more and more in His love in every part of our spiritual lives. The Spirit also reminded us on Sunday how we can be greatly encouraged by the feedback of one another, especially when done in love. And the good fruit we share that comes out of our mouths, that's a wonderful sign of growing in the Lord and, again, a great encouragement for each other. Because this world is tough. This world is unfair. It's brutal. Um, It's trying to drag you and pull you down every single day. If you're trying to follow Christ, you get it even more. And that's why we need one another. That's why we need to be humble and realize how much we can learn from one another and listen for the good fruit out of another believer's ear. Uh, Go to Luke 6, verse 44. Again, the good fruit that we share that comes out of our mouths, that's a wonderful sign of growing in the Lord and also can be extremely encouraging to your brother or sister. Luke 6.44 For each tree is known by its fruit, as we know Jesus is speaking here. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. If you want to know what's in somebody's heart and what they're really thinking, listen to what they say. As Pastor mentioned Sunday, Jesus made this neutral, objective statement here about man's heart. It's a statement of fact at the end of verse 45 that the mouth of man speaks that which fills the heart. Evil in the heart produces evil speech. Good in the heart produces good speech. And this is why the things Pastor heard on Thursday evening when we gathered together on the round table were very encouraging to him as they were to me as one of your teachers. And a lot of this good fruit from good hearts that love the Lord comes from diligence. This came up on Sunday also. A lot of the good fruit that comes out comes from not quitting, even during the challenging lessons and the challenging times in your life. And as we've heard in the past, When we don't quit and stay humble, the Spirit does His work in us. He just does. You don't do it in yourself. You basically get out of the way and allow Him to work in you when you stay humble and when you don't quit. And it's always for our betterment in the end. As we've heard from the Spirit now for several months, it's always for our betterment in the end, even when it doesn't feel good at the time. If it's from God's grace and it's the Spirit's work in you, God's going to produce something wonderful in you. 
So on the board, we saw on Sunday, your diligence bears encouraging fruit. Never underestimate your impact in this world. Honorable diligence produces fruit that others may be encouraged to see. For those engaged in helping you along the way, your fruit becomes their fruit indirectly. So again, never underestimate your impact in this world. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you diligently follow Him, regardless of your, what you think your abilities are or how um, talented you are or any of that stuff, that's, that's not the point at all. If you stay diligent, God's going to produce good fruit in you. So never underestimate your impact in this world. Again, honorable diligence produces fruit that others may be encouraged to see. And for those engaged in helping you along the way, your fruit becomes their fruit indirectly. We saw on Sunday Proverbs 13.4, Proverbs 10.4, Galatians 6.9, 1 Corinthians 15.58, and 2 Peter 1.10. And we saw these scriptures give examples, <clears throat> excuse me, of the good fruit that comes from diligence. And I want you also to be encouraged that anybody can be diligent. The good fruit comes from diligence. The funny thing about diligence is that it doesn't require any special talent or ability, but simply a willingness to go forward by faith even in the difficult times. That's the beautiful thing about diligence. Therefore, it's God producing the work in you just because you continue to go forward humbly, you know, in repentance every day, bowing before Him in your soul. You do that every day and you follow God's Word and you, you're humble enough to learn from the Holy Spirit. God's going to do things in you that eventually going to blow you away. He does and He performs the changes in us if we're humble. So that's why diligence and endurance are so important. That daily free will decision allows God to work wonders in us. So just don't quit as we've been hearing. Now normally as I review Sunday's lesson on Tuesday, I'll select only a few verses of the ones we covered on Sunday. But this time I really couldn't ignore the ones that are on the board right there. So I think the Holy Spirit wants us to see them all again. So first of all, on the board, I'll give you Proverbs. Proverbs 10:4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And in Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat, which in the times it was written means to be made rich. Go to Galatians 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, verse 9. So we see the Bible says that if you're diligent, there are certain positive results in your life. And this is speaking of spiritual diligence. This is not just worldly, you know, work hard, work 70 hours a week and make a ton of money. That's not what this is talking about. But if you're diligent spiritually, God is going to bless you. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. How many times have we seen that verse in the last few months? But it's beautiful, and it's a necessary reminder. Let us not lose heart in doing good, in following God, in sacrificing our own lives for other people. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So on the board, diligence reaps. When we are diligent, we will reap. That is the way God designed life. 
When we are diligent, we will reap. And again, it's not talent-based or intelligence-based. It's based on working hard and being persistent for the Lord. If you're diligent in your daily walk and you, you, you are doing things with the Lord in mind, you will be blessed. The Lord loves that. Again, He's not looking for, you know, the most talented individual or the smartest person, all this. In fact, arguably the Bible says He uses the, the what, the, the foolish to shame the wise. And that's even more to God's glory. That's the whole point. So regardless of your weaknesses, if you work hard and persist for the Lord, that's called diligence, and that's uh, where you do reap. God will make sure of it. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is one of my favorite verses. As a reminder, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, be diligent, right? Persist, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And finally, go to 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Again, diligence reaps. 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Where is this Peter book I speak of? <laughs> it's a lot of pages. <laughs> Thanks, DJ. <laughs> Second Peter 1.10 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. There's some encouragement. If you're diligent, you will reap. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Some days, we feel like we've got nothing left. This came out on Sunday. And we all have days like that. And diligence is really all we have. And frankly, we might say diligence is all God wants. It's an expression of faith, really. It's I'm going to keep going forward in God's plan despite everything going on. And that's just faith. And isn't faith what God wants from us? He knows we're unable. He knows our weaknesses. He's like, will you just follow me? Will you just trust me? And when we, when we do that one day at a time, it is beautiful in God's eyes. It is diligence. Sunday morning, during the lesson, I jotted in my notes the phrase marathon motivation, marathon motivation. And if you think about the scriptures that we just went to, they contain long-term truths, not emotional spikes. Do you know what I mean by that? All the verses we just went to, they contain long-term truths. In other words, lifelong realities and truths, not some emotional spike. Do it now and, you know, you get everything and it's all over. Or it's not like just some one-time decision. For example, look again. You're still in your Bibles at 2 Peter 1.10, right? Look again. It says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So, again... This is about long-term truths about life. And the word practice even brings out the idea of a habit or a lifestyle, not a one-trick pony. 
God wants us to just keep going forward one day at a time by faith. And he does all the work. So the spiritual life is a marathon, not a sprint. If you simply continue to put one foot in front of the other, you are running the race as God has designed it for you to run. You keep running after him a little bit every day, whether it's Bible class or reading your Bible or praying and, you know, maybe a daily devotional book you might have, whatever it is. You run after him every day as part of the marathon and you watch what he does in your life. That's how God designed it. And at the same time, even though it's a marathon, the Bible still tells us to run. We're still running. Uh, on the board in 2 Peter 1.10, the word for diligent in the Greek is spudazo. And it actually means to use speed. Not like the drug that some people are thinking right now. <laughs> to use speed. To make effort. Be prompt or earnest. Look at that definition. So this isn't a, um, a sit back in the lounge chair, okay, and wait for God to do things for you. This is follow me, right? Jesus said, follow me. And as you're following him, as you're pursuing him, you're running. You're making effort. You're being prompt and earnest about your, even your daily decisions between you and him. It means having an earnestness and zeal for the things of God. They are your top priority, and therefore you're diligent. Just as the Spirit has taught us to take care of the little things for the Lord. Remember all that teaching? About a couple months ago? The little things are very important to the Lord. Because the little things, how you treat the little things, is revealing of your heart. What's really important to you in your soul. And so the Lord says, you know, follow me. Be earnest. Uh, use speed. You know, follow me. Make an effort. And you do that, you will be blessed. You are diligent, you will reap. And that also uh, comes from a proper heart for serving the Lord. You can't fake it and you can't force it. It's between you and the Lord, and He knows our hearts. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run the spiritual race? With endurance. With diligence. See, it's more of an attitude than a... It's not a talent, right? It's not something somebody has it and someone doesn't as far as an ability. It's an attitude of the heart. Run the race. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. And how do we do that? Well, focus on the right things. In particular, Jesus. Look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we, how do we, run, how do we endure? How do we, how do we be diligent? Can you do that in your own energy? Can you force it? You can't. The only way you can do it properly is to fix your eyes on Jesus and what he went through on the cross willingly for you. And then what you're going through, let's be honest, folks. Whatever you're going through, it's easy compared to going through the cross. And so he's our great example of how to endure. And that's all God wants from us. So run with endurance. Run with diligence. Run the spiritual race with endurance one day at a time. And if we do that, our fruit for the Lord is going to be very difficult to count in heaven. Now in heaven, we're all going to be perfect. 
then, you know, the Lord's there, so you can count, like, you know, he already knows, right? So it's not fair. But what I mean is, and what I was thinking about is, imagine if you lived every single day for the Lord. One day at a time. Imagine if every day you lived for the Lord. And you're not perfect, you sin intermittently, hopefully, only. You, you live every day for the Lord. You do something for the Lord's purposes, for His will, you know, following His Word, right? Well, what if you live 80 years? What if you live to be 120 like Bill? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of days. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. That's a lot of days. 365 days a year times 80 years. And if, if God is who He says He is, if God is faithful to reward those that follow Him, that's an awful lot of fruit, good fruit, that, that he'll point to in heaven and be like, well done, my good and faithful servant. And, you know, we know this is not about earning points or earning heaven. This is not about that at all. It's about the opportunity to show gratitude and love back to the Lord for what he did for us, right? So can you imagine when you get to heaven how glad you will be if you just don't quit the spiritual race? if you just be diligent and keep following him, the amount of fruit that the Lord can point to and Satan and the fallen angels can basically be condemned by, saying, look, this person didn't even see me. They couldn't even see me, and they had faith and followed me every day. And look at all this fruit. That's awesome. And that's, what, that's when we'll have no regrets when we get to heaven if we just don't quit. So keep running. When we operate in diligence, especially all of us together as a unit, as a family, nothing in this world can stop us. And we must remember the Spirit of Christ is with us every step of the way. Right there. In us, next to us, even going ahead of us and preparing the, the path. You know, even protecting us from things that would have been there, but he took care of because he knows your heart. He knows you're following him. He knows you're persisting, even though you don't have the ability or the intelligence or whatever. And so God's like, awesome. That's all I want. Go to Philippians 2, verse 1. So we're transitioning to the idea that if we operate in diligence together, like as a unit, as a family, if we, if we help each other and stick together in love, um, even Satan and the fallen angels have no hope to stop what we're doing. And we'll see that in a minute. Philippians 2.1 Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's God's desire for us, just like Paul wrote here. Be of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do it together, and you won't be stopped. And to see all of us marching to the same drum of the Lord is nothing short of miraculous and supernatural. Especially in the devil's world, and especially because of all the different personalities in our church, different ages, different life contexts from what we've each individually been through. All that should make us separate. We should all be like on our own, like being disagreeing with everybody. But Christ being intent on the same purpose, like it says in verse 2, because we all have that one purpose to glorify God through Christ, it's a miracle. It literally is a supernatural work. So we have great power in unity as the body of Christ, the Bible says. The body of Christ, one body. Even Satan's schemes against us will fail when we live together in love and unity. So let's be diligent together. 
not only when we're alone and fighting our own battles, but let's be diligent together to stand firm together as one unit, as one family, as one body, united in love. Go to Romans 8, verse 35. I want to remind you, or the Spirit wants to remind you, that nothing can defeat God's love. So if we all are united in God's love, if we don't let the petty things of life and personality differences and all that little foolish, meaningless stuff, really, if we don't let that get in the way of one purpose, being intent on one purpose, and being united in love, the love of Christ, we can't be defeated. Romans 8.35 Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, that includes Satan, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You either believe that or you don't. But that's part of the good news right there. And if we stay united in His love, nothing can defeat what God's purpose is in that. Think about it. Even Satan, in all his power and all his intelligence, can't separate us from the love of God. In fact, by God's love, we will do damage to his schemes and plans. And this came up on Sunday as well. On the board, being united in spirit. People that think and love alike are a force to be reckoned with. A congregation like ours may be used to splinter an otherwise unified position our enemy has taken. To think our God even lets us partake in His love and His power like this, it's amazing. But He does, He sure does. In fact, He gives it to us freely if we accept it by faith. So if we're united in spirit, even Satan and, and all of his evil schemes against mankind. Uh, he tries to destroy churches like this. He tries to prevent unbelievers from surrendering to Christ, repenting of their sinfulness and trusting in Christ. Satan tries to prevent people from believing in Christ. But when we operate as a unit in the love of Christ, the love blows away all those lies and deceptions that that spoil people's souls. It's a supernatural thing. It's hard to describe. But this is what the Bible says. And what a privilege that God lets us partake of this supernatural love and power. But we aren't designed to do it alone. We aren't designed to do it alone. God designed us to be part of the body of Christ. Everyone has a part. Everyone has a role. And if we submit humbly to that calling, It's a, a supernatural thing, I'll just say that. I was thinking of a superhero thing, you know. But it, it is a supernatural thing. thing. We can do things as a unit that are beyond the natural. So on Sunday we saw in John chapter 16 and 17, we saw the heart of our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And our visit to these passages was brought on by this point on the board. The Great Commission and the Lord's Prayer. First, He prepared us in John chapter 16. Then He sent us out in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And then He prayed for us in John 17. I don't know about you, but this perspective, this changed my perspective on these chapters in John. John 16 and 17. And I hope you all went home and read them back to back as was requested. 
in context. Chapter 16, the Lord preparing you. Chapter 17, the Lord praying for you. And it's very intimate. It's very heartfelt. It's the Lord revealing his heart. So to think that the Lord has personally prepared us greatly this past year, just like he prepared the apostles in John chapter 16. The Lord prepared us greatly this past year, as we're talking about this year in review and the gospel and the fullness that we, that we had to learn about from the Spirit. And to know that our Lord has had the confidence in us to send us out, okay? Because he's not going to send you out or call you out until you're ready, until you're properly prepared with the gospel. And to know that he's prayed for us, including for great unity and love, just like he and the Father have as one. That's very encouraging. He's praying to the Father for us to have the same unity that he and the Father have. That's crazy. That's truly only a work of God. But that's what he's praying for for us. And also, to know that he continues to pray for us each and every day as we diligently go forward in his calling on our lives. That should also be very encouraging. So that's what we're going to look at today. That's what the Spirit wants us to get into, uh, seeing some examples of how the Lord continues to pray for us even now, even though he's seated at the right hand of God the Father on the throne. So let's, let's uh, be encouraged by this. Go to Hebrews 7, verse 23. We know in John chapter 17, he prayed for us, but the Bible says Jesus Christ continues to pray for us right now, every day. And you'll see in a, in a few moments why this is so um, powerful. Hebrews seven twenty three. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Well, that's a stark reality, huh? This is talking about the priests in the Old Testament, right? All the Jewish priests in the temple. The priests had this assignment to represent the people before God, before Jesus came. We, they needed priests to represent them. But now we have the priest, Jesus Christ, and he represents us forever. So it says here, the former priests in the Old Testament, on the one hand, they existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from even continuing. All right? There had to be a priest after one priest died to take over. But in verse 24, Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Jesus rose from the dead. He never actually stayed in death. He never decayed. He rose from the dead, and he lives forever. So we have a priest that lives forever, and he holds his priesthood permanently. It doesn't end at death. Therefore, verse 25, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. There we see salvation and even eternal security. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. There we have prayer. When you see intercession, think about prayer. So this verse says, Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. Talking about believers. Go to Hebrews 9, verse 24. So because Jesus lives forever, he holds his priesthood forever as our representative before God the Father, and he prays for us forever. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus Christ, right now, as the God-man, is in the presence of the Father for us. He's there representing us. He's there praying for us. Turn to Romans 8, verse 34. Again, we're pointing out the fact that the Lord, not only did he pray for us in John chapter 17, he continues to pray for us every single day. Romans 8, 34. 
Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He prays for us at the right hand of God as the one risen from the dead. And remember also the Holy Spirit is praying for us and even helping us pray. And whose spirit is the Holy Spirit? Who does the Holy Spirit belong to? Christ? It's called the Spirit of Christ, right? Hasn't it been an emphasis too? So the Holy Spirit's praying for us, but He's one with Christ. It is the Spirit of Christ. And once again, Christ is praying for us through the Spirit, through His Spirit. Go to Romans 8, verse 26. You're already in Romans 8. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Amen? <laughs> I'll tell you, I still trust, I mean, we all do, but I still struggle in prayer from time to time. I'm like, what do I say? What do you want me to say? How do I listen to you? We don't know how to pray as we should. And I, I think that's with us till the day we die. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Thank God. He prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You don't know what the will of God is for your life? He prays for you, if you're a believer, that you do the will of God. And he prays according to the will of God. And finally, go to 1 John 2, verse 1. And let's see one more example of how the Lord, Jesus Christ, is praying for us, even today. 1 John 2, verse 1. Is, this should be relieving to you, like relaxing, right? To know that this is happening on your behalf, even when you're a knucklehead and you're selfish, or you're whatever you are, <laughs> we all have our issues. Even when you're disobedient, even when you don't know how to pray, this is going on on your behalf, by the grace and mercy of God. So 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. You have an advocate. He's defending you to God the Father. Saying, Lord, Lord, Father. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what words they might use, but Father, I paid for that sin on the cross. I know they just sinned, and they deserve judgment, but I paid for that sin on the cross. He's advocating for us every day, and that includes prayer. So we're not alone. We're never alone. And it takes the faith of a mustard seed to remember he's with you at all times, he's even in you, and he's faithful. He'll never leave you or forsake you. As Pastor reminded us on Sunday, when the Lord gave the Great Commission to the apostles and the disciples, and he said, go out and make disciples in the whole world, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what did he say at the end in Matthew 28, 20, part B? Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, don't forget that part. I know I'm sending you out like a sheep amongst wolves. And I know I'm calling you to do this great commission, this, this great calling to help save people even. And he says, don't forget, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Lord prepared the apostles, and he sent them out. Remember, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, was after the resurrection of the Lord. After he rose from the grave, he sent them out. Which means he had already prepared them in John chapter 16, which was before the crucifixion and the resurrection. So think of the timeline there. Jesus didn't send them out on the Great Commission until after he prepared them in John chapter 16. 
And so the Lord prepares us who have humble hearts before him. Preparation is huge. And what do you think we've been doing the last 15 months? Why do you think he stopped some of us in our shoes, even from evangelizing? And he said, you've got to get the gospel right. You've got to get the gospel straight. And through humility, he's prepared many of us. And we all should now see the gospel more clearly with what he's given us. And again, as I said before, the Lord didn't mess around. Uh, He didn't take it lightly and just give us some passing advice on the gospel. You know, by the way, remember this. 15 months, 117 classes. And he changed our perspective on the gospel. He changed my perspective. And now we see the more beautiful and more powerful fullness of it. So again, you can go to the website and check it out if you want to learn what's being spoken of now. If you remember, for many months, we were on the gospel proper. For many months, we were on the gospel proper. And some of us, including myself, were saying, why are we on the gospel so much right now? You know, what, what's the point? What's the end of this? What's the end goal? And then it seemed to, out of left field to me, he came in and hit us with the Great Commission. Do you remember that? We had months about the gospel. And then almost out of the blue, he hit us with the Great Commission as the calling on our lives as believers, as the main calling, our main purpose to be alive. So he prepared us heavily on the gospel as a spiritual army about to go out into the world, into battle, with the quest to win men's souls. And he's like, this is a big you know, deal, and you've got to have the gospel right. And then what does he do? After months and months of preparation, he gives us the Great Commission. To us, in this congregation personally, he said, you're ready. Now you're ready. And don't forget, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you every step of the way. I'm in you. If you rely on my spirit, I'll give you the words to speak also. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing looking back on the whole picture. I hope you see it. And as a reminder, on the board, who's praying for us? The perfect man. And the prayers of a perfect man are perfect. And they're being made on our behalf even right now. God the Father is hearing perfect prayers according to his will from the perfect man for our benefit. How can God the Father say no if it's a perfect prayer? And it is because it's from the perfect man, the God-man. And we've already seen that in Hebrews 7.25 and Romans 8.34. So what great hope and courage we should have, knowing that's what's going on behind the scenes. Even as the angels are watching us, uh, even as we're attacked, even as we have fiery darts thrown at our thoughts to try to get us off track, to distract us even, what's going on behind the scenes is this, and it is astounding if you have a little bit of faith and decide to accept that's what's really going on, despite what you see. So again, on the board, consider this perspective the Great Commission, and the Lord's Prayer. He prepared us in John 16. He sent us out into the world in Matthew 28, and he prayed for us in John 17. So let's review some of John 16 and 17, noting the Lord's preparation in chapter 16 and then his personal prayer for us in chapter 17. Go again to John chapter 16, verse 1. Again, if you haven't done this on your own, please go home and take 10 minutes and read chapter 16 and 17 in order. And just see what God reveals to you. John 16, 1. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. There we see again preparation. Jesus was preparing them for what was to come. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you 
to think he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes, you may, may remember that I told you of them. Again, we see Jesus is preparing the disciples. When their hour comes against you, basically, you remember, I told you this was going to happen. I told you, so don't be surprised. Even be confident, because what I'm saying is going to come true. Go to verse 7. Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the Holy Spirit. More preparation. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Remember Jesus said, I think it's John chapter 8, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. In other words, if you don't believe in me, the one who paid for your sins, you're going to have to be judged for your own sins. Well, what does he say here? The Holy Spirit, in verse 9, convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in Christ. So there's a judgment if you don't accept Christ and let him make your payment. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Again, there's more preparation. God's giving us the wisdom to be able to do what he wants us to do. He's not going to just throw us out there and be like, good luck, you know, try your own methods. He prepares. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. You see the unity of the Trinity? Do you see how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one? Totally unified perfectly? Verse 15 again. All things that the Father has are mine, Jesus says. Therefore I said that he takes of mine, that's the Holy Spirit, and will disclose it to you. We all think the exact same, by the way. We're the same. We're one. Preparation. And look at verse 22. Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. There's a great encouragement, a reminder about eternal joy with Him to come. That will never be interrupted, by the way. Remember that verse that says in Hebrews, he'll save, He saves you forever if you draw near to God? No one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will not question me about anything. I can't wait for that. <laughs> right? Instead of doubting, instead of questioning everything. In that day, when you see me again, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. Here's another reminder, we can have his joy now in this world, if we ask. And look at verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. There's more preparation. Jesus says, before I send you out, I'm going to give you everything you need to know, so that you can have peace in your soul, so you're prepared to go out there and do what I want you to do. So you're not weak, you're strong. You're not wondering what to do. You know exactly what to do. Because I prepared you. And then he says, in the, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Don't worry about it. It's beautiful. Verse 33 to me is like he's speaking directly to this congregation. After how we've been prepared. He prepared us 
we're fully equipped with his gospel so that we now have peace in our souls and we're confidently going out with the proper information, the grace and truth of our Lord. So now that he's prepared us over the last 15 months, he sends us out. He sends us out into the world where we have tribulation, but remember, he's with you and he's overcome the world already. So I have in my notes here, let's do it. It's like, no, seriously, like, what are, we, what are we holding back for? What can we possibly be scared of now? Don't we have the, the full gospel presentation? I mean, haven't, haven't our, hasn't our perspective changed about the gospel and, and getting it right and what it, what it truly is, the full picture? So let's, let's go out and do it. We have absolutely nothing to lose. He's with us the whole way, and he's given us permission to go out because he brought up the Great Commission to us after months of learning the gospel. So that means we're ready, or he wouldn't have sent us. So let's close by reading the Lord's special prayer in John chapter 17 now. And in context, this is after the preparation we were given in John 16. And as we read, pay particular attention to our Lord's heart. Look at Jesus' heart here. And also, remember, this is the prayer of a perfect man. Everything he says is according to the will of God. There's nothing that God's going to be like, oh, you shouldn't ask for that yet. You're not ready for that yet. The perfect prayer. The perfect man. John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave to me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. I no longer, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus is praying for our joy, even in this world. The same joy he talked about in John 16, verse 24. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes... I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
Again, Jesus is praying for the perfect unity of love in us. If he's praying for it, it must be possible, folks. Think of the unity the Father and the Son have. Perfect oneness, perfect unity. And he's praying that we have the same type of unity. Verse 22, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me. In other words, when the world sees the unity in these people, they're not going to understand it. And when they use the name of Jesus Christ, then they're going to understand that I'm from you, Father. I'm from above, because they're going to see the unity in my people. Again, verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. There we see how much the Lord cares about us. He wants all the best for us, especially God's love. As we close, let's keep this heart of our Lord in mind. He sends us out, but not without His love and prayer constantly by our side, even inside of us. So may this coming year be one of personal revelation for every one of us, and even revival. May we open our hearts and minds to the fact that He can do great things through us, and our time might be right now. He's prepared us. He sent us out. Our time might be right now. He's like, go for it. And I'm with you every step of the way. As the time grows short, we look forward to seeing His miraculous work in us and through us. Are you looking forward to seeing God's miraculous work in you? Or do you doubt He can do it because you're you and you stink? Which one are you? A little bit of faith. He promises all these things. In John 16 and 17, you should look forward to his miraculous work in you. Because he's going to do it if you humbly follow him. Remember the Lord said on the board in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Do you believe that verse? That if you believe in Him, you're going to do the same works He does and even greater because He's no longer here, but He's left us behind to continue His work? Do you believe that He's going to do miraculous things through you? Even though you can't speak right? I mean, who did God use in the Bible that stuttered? Moses stuttered. And God said, Moses, you go talk to the Pharaoh every day, the king, yeah, the one that can kill you. Go talk to him every day. Because God works through people who humbly follow him. And as Proverbs says, the wise man wins souls. So we can go forward and participate in the great miracle of lost souls being found. How ridiculously crazy is that, that we get the chance to do that, to participate in saving people eternally. And even when we don't know what to say, he fills our mouths if we follow his spirit. As we learned, that's what we are still here for. So let's rejoice that we, despite our weaknesses, can partake in the miracle of salvation, even helping people see the light of eternity and be saved from this sin. As Pastor closed with on Sunday on the board, the great co-mission. What greater miracle is there than for Jesus himself 
to wrap his loving arms around yet another person and say, I love you, you're mine now, and I'm never, ever, ever letting you go. There's no greater miracle in this world. And that's what we have the chance to be a sharer in. So let's close in prayer on that note. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word and all the grace you've shown us, all the preparation you've given us, and even the confidence you've given us to go out and to share the good news with the lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. And Father, if anyone's listening to my voice right now who has never personally turned to your son in their heart, I ask that you help them right now to believe in him. The Bible says we're all sinners, we're all guilty. But if you repent to God, if you admit your sinfulness to him and that you need him to save you, and you trust in Christ as your substitute, as your Lord and your Savior, then the Bible says you will be saved. It's a personal thing between you and God. And if you're humble, he will come to you and save you. Father, we ask again that you help us bring these things out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. Give us the faith and courage to obey and follow all you've given us. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.